0: This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, Trusted Natural Solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran-owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DoD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag optnatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code Mentors the Number Four M I L at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military Disclaimer at mentors for disclaimer. Hey guys, Robert here. Be sure to check out VeteranOwnUS.com to help support a veteran business today. Whether it's a product or service that you're looking for on a national or local level, check out VeteranOwnUS.com. If you're looking to support the Mentorship Military Podcast because you enjoy what we do here, there's a number of different ways you can do that. As I've mentioned in previous podcasts, you can go out, like, and comment on one of our social media pages to tell people how much you enjoy the show. You can go out to one of the uh, apps that our podcast is on and leave a comment, and a rating, and a review. Or you can also become a donor. What do donors do? Donors help us you know, bring these great shows and great guests and everything each and every week. You know, it's through those contributions and through those donations that we're able to do a lot of that. So you can become a donor by going to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com, slash mentors, the number four, M-I-L, and pick a level to make a donation. We appreciate every one of our donors And thank you, each and every one of you, for listening. Mm -hmm. Glad you're on the show, man. It seems like uh, it was forever that we communicated (laughs) and locked this thing in. And we're so far booked out now that it's so odd, you know, by the time I get to to talking to somebody that I had spoke with two to three months prior, you know, I've got to like refresh myself. Okay, what was it all about? The whole thing. (laughs) So I'm, I'm glad you're finally on.
1: No, likewise. And you know what? I don't even think we really got into it all that much. So no, we I'll didn't. be able to give you the refresher, and it'll be the first time you get it.
0: Yeah, no, that's really good, because that's actually the way I enjoy it, to be honest with you. I have yeah. uh, pre-calls sometimes, and um, people start getting into their story and everything. It's like, no, 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 don't do it. I want it to be fresh <laughs> when we have a chance to talk. So it's, uh, You know
1: what? It, it gets really weird, too, when you uh, – like, so I went up to – to whitefish montana and i did a podcast with andy stump oh yeah uh, who who i served with and andy and i hadn't really seen each other or talked in like i mean shit it probably was seven years yeah and uh dude i was all antsy to catch up over the phone and then he's like no we can't do anything until we get here and then I, he picks me up from the airport and like for the first like 12 hours, like we didn't talk about anything. It was like really, <laughs> that <weird>. was awkward. <laughs> uh,
0: but I could totally relate because I've had people say something like, well, what I thought that maybe um, we could talk about, or I would say something like, well, I read about this. And then all of a sudden they'd go into it and I'd, and I'd be trying to stop them. I'm like, no, listen, no, you, it's, I mean, geez, there's so many things I want to say right now, but if I say it then we won't talk about it when we get right. the chance to get on the microphone. And so, right. so it's good to hear that Andy's doing the same thing. So I'm not yeah, alone no, in that. It's
1: like, I mean, everybody that I've talked to, whether it's Andy, uh, when I went out and interviewed with Tim Ferriss, it was the same way. Like, he didn't want to hear anything about me until he got on mic and started recording.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's so much better, so much more organic that way. Well, anyway, welcome to the Mentors for Military Podcast, brother. I'm just glad you're on here.
1: Yeah, no, it's absolutely an honor. I appreciate you having me.
0: Yeah, well, after the the guys that you've already been on the shows with that you've dropped already, this is this is small fry for. Oh uh, no, sure. dude,
1: this is actually more important, man. <laughs> I mean, I guess for Andy as well, right? I mean, because it's it, military brothers. I mean, yeah. that's what. You know, if, if I ever get performance anxiety at all, it's because I'm I'm amongst peers. Uh, I care about that a lot more. <laughs> I appreciate
0: that. Really do. Well, I want to dive into that background and everything before we get into what you're doing today. And so I know that you grew up in Chicago, but tell me a little bit about that. Were you in the burbs or, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I grew up in South Chicago in the city. Uh, so Where Irish, uh, I, Beverly, Mount Greenwood area. Um, familiar.
0: I, well, I used to go to Kinkakee a lot. And uh, probably drove somewhere by there, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, Kankakee is about 45 minutes or an hour south. So I used to pheasant hunt at a cousin's property in Kankakee with some buddies. No, I
0: I used to go down there. We had a life science company and I was a part of a life science organization. And There was a big manufacturing facility that was located there and it was out in the middle of nowhere. And all I can remember is that um, you may recall the snowstorm where the plane you know, crashed and went through the fence on the other end and killed a family in a van? I, I think so. Yeah. I, I was there that night. I was actually in Kinkakee, and the uh, manager in charge of the plant said, Robert, you might want to get out of here because I, you know, I need to fly back to Atlanta. And I'm like, nah, man, I, you know, I'll just uh, leave in the morning. He's like, no, there's some serious storms coming in, you know, as far as snow and you right. may get trapped in here in Kankakee. And I thought, Trapped in kinky key? No, I'm getting the hell out of here. So I I said I'm leaving right now unless you need me. And he goes, No, I don't need you. And this is like one o'clock in the afternoon. So I head up to Chicago. Sure enough, as I'm making the drive in, the bottom falls out. I mean, it's terrible. You know, Chicago yeah. storms come in off the uh, the water there and everything, and the wind. And by the time I made it to the hotel, which is directly across from the airport. Um, I go put my bags up, sit down at the bar and start to have dinner and up on the TV, the plane had just, they just came in and it just crashed and they were going to an immediate news and everything and talking about it. And I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh my God. And the next day um, I go to my terminal and my uh, area, my gate And I'm looking out the window and right there, we can see it. It was right in front of us where it happened. It was clear the next day, still snow and everything, but they had cleared it all out. And, you know, you could get a better uh, visual and the whole bit. So, so sad. Um, I don't think anybody was hurt within the plane, but the family, I think, uh, I don't know if all of them were killed, but um, I know a couple, at least one or more were killed in that that accident. So very sad.
1: Crazy situation
0: crazy storms jeez and you know as right. many times as i, I work for another company used to go to chicago and that city i love it but it hates me every time i go there bad weather so yeah
1: there's anyway, a lot of anyway let's
0: get back to you i got to talk it i got totally <laughs> off track here so uh let's get back then you grew up in south side of chicago and yep no so i grew up in the city uh so
1: it was a you know blue collar uh you know irish catholic neighborhood in south chicago so we, we're famous. We used to have the Southside Irish Parade there. Oh, wow. Uh, at, really? I never heard of that. Yeah. So it's like a big, I mean, it was a big like drinking vest. It was like, <laughs> I, I don't even know. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people, I think, would like flock wow. to the neighborhood. Hundreds so, of
0: thousands. Jeez. Okay. Yeah,
1: super cool uh, part of town. Uh, you know, very connected, you know, very community oriented. Um, sports were a big deal. And then I ended up going to high school at Mount Carmel, which is an all guys Catholic school heard of that uh, 64th and Dante. So in South Chicago, but North of where I was. So kind of a rough neighborhood. Mm. And, uh, I wrestled there. So I, I, I wrestled for, for four years. Um, uh, and I didn't start wrestling at a young age. So like, I was like behind the power curve compared to most of the guys that went there sure. because we had a pretty competitive program. And, uh, yeah, you know, it was, it was actually really good I mean, I think that was a, a huge foundational part of of my discipline and kind of work ethic going into the military you know, I, I really attribute wrestling to you know any success that i've experienced in the military and beyond
0: yeah you know it's so uh interesting that the uh, sports plays such a significant role in all of that in development and everything especially in young men uh, Mike Pritz, who is on the podcast and uh, one of the co-hosts and stuff, he he teaches now uh, currently at a high school. And uh, after he served, you know, almost thirty years as uh, special forces and stuff, and in the army, and now he coaches uh, football there as well. So I think he's now the head coach, I, I believe, of ninth grade. And um, you know, he talks about just the development, and that's the most important role really that he plays there is to help them understand how to grow up to be, you know good upstanding young men and, and uh, do the right things and learn those tough lessons and learn, you know, discipline and, and, you know, those things that we just kind of forget about, quite honestly, you don't think much about, because as you're a kid going through it, you just wonder why it's so damn hard and why, why the coach is picking on you and, you know, and, and all the other things that are going on when you're going through puberty and trying to grow up, you know?
1: Right. Well, you're, I'm thankful for it all now. Yeah. Yeah. I attribute kind of everything to kind of those formidable, difficult years in the wrestling room and the camaraderie and, and connections that I built as a wrestler. And, and people look at wrestling as an individual sport. But in in high school, at least in my experience in the Midwest, uh, it was very team centric. You know, you were sacrificing as part of the team to make weight, to fill gaps in the lineup. Uh, you're training hard every single day together. Everybody's you know, starving, uh, uh, on purpose to yeah. lose weight and dehydrated. Uh, so just a great environment, um, you know, pre-military, you know, and, and, it, and it's something that, you know, I'm very thankful for it is difficult as it was. And I remember it being very difficult for me because I wasn't the most talented athlete and, uh, and, and I really owe a lot to it.
0: So what happened that made you go then to the Naval Academy? Uh, Was it a scholarship opportunity or was it just all of a sudden, hey, listen, this is something that I've really felt passionate about and I want to apply for?
1: Yeah. So I actually, I wanted to be a SEAL in probably seventh grade. Oh,
0: okay.
1: Uh, And and I just, I latched onto it. You know, Andy and I talked a little bit about it when I did uh, the podcast with him. Um, And he's found that a lot of guys will go all the way back to like seventh, eighth grade. Uh but yeah, for me it was I wanted to go down that track. I uh I had heard about the the community and I made the decision that well I, I actually I kowtowed to my parents. My parents wanted me to get a degree, otherwise I would have went to Great Lakes and just enlisted uh to try to get into BUDS right away. Sure. So Naval Academy seemed like the uh the best route, at least stacking the odds in my favor to get a commission and go to BUDS. They had more billets. I think at the time we had 16 billets out of the Academy and there was another 16, I think for ROTC and maybe a handful, uh, for like OCS, um, kind of commissions, you know, out of the fleet, you know, guys that were, uh, coming up from, you know, to admiral program.
0: So how does that work then when you go to the Naval Academy, at what point can you get tracked for something like that? I mean, is it, I'm sure I'm just guessing you're walking in, you still have that dream. You know, it's kind of a pipe dream, but you're you're looking at that thing and you're walking the Naval Academy and I'm sure every new bud or every new guy, I, what do you guys call yourselves up there in the Naval Academy or something? Yeah, like uh, plebes. Plebes. Okay. So every new plebe coming in there, or at least a good majority is probably thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, you're
1: on you're on target, Robert, for sure. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think probably freshman year, if we had a class with like, I don't know, 800 guys, like. 650 of them wanted to be, you know, seals or EOD <laughs> or something. So, uh, yeah, you, you start early, you know, and the the connections and camaraderie are built very early. You know, a lot of the guys that I ended up going through training with and, and serving in the teams with were the same guys that I was competing against to go to dive school, freshman year, uh, jump school in Benning, yep. uh, sophomore year and then off to mini buds, uh, prior to getting selected to go to actual, uh, selection and training.
0: Wow. So how many of those you think that were probably, you know, tracking that direction actually, you know, decided upon that before graduating uh, from the Naval Academy? I mean, do you think there was a, the numbers really dwindled because guys started figuring out maybe that's not for me or...
1: Yeah, I think that we they do a really good job. I mean, we, we run a lot of the selection. Well, at least when I was there, the midshipmen were, were in charge of run selection, which is extremely dangerous oh, now yeah. that I, <laughs> I've been on the other side. I've been, I've been yeah. cadre at BUDS, so I know how many uh, risk mitigation practices are put into place to You're keep right. people, from, people from dying. Yeah. Um, but midshipmen ran the selection. So I, I can tell you, I mean, it started immediately with uh, our little dive screener which you know to get to get guys to go to Panama City, Florida for sub scuba, which is a you know for me it was like a blast. Once you actually got to Panama City, like I enjoyed it because it was so much less intense yeah. than the the sharking screener you know uh, with a mask and snorkel that you did in the pool at the academy. So yeah, the 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 selection process every year to go to that school that's going to give you. The check in the box to to really qualify and be validated by the time you hit senior year. Okay. Um, it started immediately and it was it was pretty relentless. So if you, I mean, it, there was a handful of guys that started late. You know, really, you know, applied themselves maybe uh, sophomore or junior year. But uh, th- those guys were anomalies. They were like high end varsity athletes. You know, that had you know, they were just super athletic. You know, did really well in school and they got a, a nod. But you know most of us that weren't as athletically talented just had to kind of uh, gut it out early and, and go through all the the terrible screeners that they put you through.
0: Yeah so when you when was it that you said you went to scuba then while you were in sophomore year or uh,
1: so between freshman and sophomore year so that would have been uh, okay. this, yeah summer of 2000
0: okay so by the time you graduated you were already airborne and scuba qualified.
1: Yeah. I mean like open circuit scuba and then uh and then I did go to Benning, which which is like a, a badge of honor because now we run uh static line out here in San Diego for the team. So I can I can say I went through as like lower than a PFC as a midshipman at Benning and just got shit on for you know the entire course. Oh, I bet. I bet.
0: <laughs> so um because I remember actually because I was stationed at Benning and went to airborne school there and Uh, I remember a lot of guys, especially during the summer, were, you know, the guys from the Academy, uh, from West Point, you know, the whole bit that were coming in. And and that was, you know, most of the time guys would say something like, man, do not go over there in the summer because you're just going to get, you know, lumped right in with those guys. And you don't want that to happen. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, that I remember that uh, for sure. So, um By the time you graduated, you were tracked for this. What happened right after graduation? I mean, did they send you right off to BUDS immediately after, or do you have to go through another pre-course?
1: No, so we were all pre-selected, so we went through mini-BUDS the year before, and then uh, coming out of the Naval Academy, you know, if you're going to go into BUDS right away, you're one of the first groups, you'll get sent straight out to Coronado and get put into Indoc out there, and if You're part of, you know, we we would do it in batches, right? So if there's, call it 15 guys from my class got to go, we were three groups of five. And the guys that were in the holding pattern would just stick around school and help out with some of the, you know, kind of the summer training for the incoming uh, freshman class or, or some of the other advanced, I guess, sophomore, junior summer training curriculum.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, take me through buds and how was that coming in as an officer? I mean, how, how, you know, do they, do they like separate or do they identify you guys, even though you're not probably wearing rank or anything, but do they kind of know that there's a certain number of officers and NCOs and, you know, and how yeah. was that? And was there a difference?
1: Yeah. I mean, we, so you, we all go through the same training. Sure, um, sure. yeah. And, and, you know, for, for me, I mean, as a young officer, you're identified uh, by a big white stripe that's on your helmet. So they they really they want to make sure they know they can identify the officers in the class. Gotcha. And then, you know, all the uh, you know, all the enlisted have you know kind of their rank uh, also taped on uh, uh, to the front with like kind of white tape. Yeah. Um, or I think we might have even painted it on at that point. And so. Yeah, they could identify NCOs and they could identify officers. And uh, for me, it was, you know, I just I I knew I was expected to to do well. And I I prepared really well prior to going out to BUDS uh, because I didn't want to be distracted or or worried about the physical part of it. I knew that it was going to be, you know, uh, mentally taxing. And I knew that there was going to be an added amount of stress because as an officer, I'm expected to step up and, and lead, even though I've, I haven't led really anything at that point. Right. Uh, so, you know, I just, you know, I kind of shut my mouth. I listened a lot. And then, you know, when I was expected to kind of do my part, I mean, in, in buds, it's easy, right? You're just, you're a physical motivator. You're just, you're just kind of helping your buddies out and you're part of the crew and, you're not expected to be a tactician um i mean really as an officer you're you're never expected to be the expert tactician uh so it was a uh it was a good experience for me you know i just i've always you know found that humility is the best virtue to embrace and i i always try to stay humble um you know it started in training and it it, it hasn't let up i you know i'm tr- trying to be humble in everything i do even even post-military now so, so how, i think i think that did went well for me because of that
0: how was it then on the other side of it you know being cadre um i mean what had things changed quite a bit in terms of the training and what to expect for individuals coming in or you know is it pretty much the same
1: yeah i mean it, it got way easier so oh that's true yeah <laughs> <laughs> Bad. <laughs> you know, it's funny, man. Like, I know people say that. I mean, things change. And yeah. it, it really depends on the cadre that you have running. You know, for us, it's first phase is like the selection right. uh, portion that most of the guys will drop during. And, you know, you get different personalities. I had personalities as instructors that were just the hammers. And uh, and they were fond of certain uh, physical evolutions that became notoriously terrible. Uh, so, yeah, you, you know, you have... <laughs> you, you'd like to tell people that, you know, my training selection part portion of training was harder, but I think, you know, what you get to see as cadre is that there's a lot of curriculum. There's a lot of thought that goes into all this stuff. There's uh, tables that tell you how long you can keep somebody in the water, which, you know, you don't know as a student. So you get to see behind the curtain uh, and, you know, it gives you an advantage, right? When you know, and the unknown isn't part of the, uh, the selection process, you know, you, you know, you're like, okay, this isn't so bad. It's a little bit more palatable, but you know, all in all, I mean, I, I'd see, I'd see young guys coming through training by the time I got back as uh cadre and I thought they they were impressive for the most part. I mean, you always had guys that, that washed out, but you know, guys are just in phenomenal shape, you know, super intelligent, very capable. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think, I think guys continue to get better and better.
0: Yeah. Um, did you ever listen to or look at some of the stuff that you were going through as an instructor and go, ah, oh, geez, now it makes sense. Now I understand why the hell, it, you know, they did this or I can only imagine as you're going through that, that you're starting to, to have a few aha moments.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, I made it. I might have had some good perspective beforehand because I went through a bunch of those kind of selection screeners. You know, I think we're prepared very well at the the Academy because they expect us to do well. Yeah. But you know, looking back now, um, it just all makes sense, right? I mean, shared struggle is, becomes the glue that that makes, you know, not just SEALs, but, you know, any combat, you know, arms profession, any unit within a combat arms profession, you know, so effective, right? Yep. So, you know, that shared struggle is so critically important. You know, at the time, you think that they're just being, uh, you know, sadistic, and they enjoy torturing students, but, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that, you know, we have kept the pressure on and we have cadre going back that aren't just sadists. They, you know, they truly want to see the best product come into the, um, you know, the SEAL teams that we possibly can produce. Because, okay. you know, you know, and it was the truth, right? They, a lot of those cadre said, you know, you guys, a lot of you guys will be guys that I'm going to do platoons with and we're going to go into combat with. So I don't want any of you guys coming in and and getting me killed or getting one of my buddies killed. And, uh, you know, I think that reigns true. It's a universal concept across the services, right?
0: Yeah. No, I think that's an excellent point. And, you know, you got to understand as you're going in that these individuals are trying to make you the best for that very reason right there. Because they don't want you to be a liability. They want to make sure that you're going to be a good team member. And so, you know, if you keep bear that in mind. Of course, we always tell people just never quit. You know, yeah, as you're going through, this. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say easy, but yeah, just never quit. Uh, yeah. so what happened to Tim then? Uh, you guys were roommates, you're, you know, your buddy now in crime and, and yeah. you guys were college roommates at the Naval Academy, but he chose not to go to uh route. He-
1: so yeah. So Tim, I mean, Tim was a, a roommate my freshman year at the Naval Academy. Uh, and we were in the same company at school for four years. Uh, he, so his dad was a Navy diver, and you know he aspired to go into the EOD community, um, which is also super competitive coming out of school to get oh, yeah. a billet into that training pipeline. So he, he did not get a, a billet uh, into the pipeline. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, he tried uh, when he was a surface warfare officer to get laterally transferred, but uh, I think he he did such a good job as an engineer on a ship that the, the incoming CO wouldn't approve the, the lat transfer. And, uh, and ultimately, you know, his exodus was because he couldn't go into the community that he, he really wanted to go into. Yeah. So, you know, he, he left the military, uh, you know, several years before I did. And then, you know, went out and got an MBA and, and uh, you know, was helping veterans actually get jobs uh, with an organization for a while.
0: Okay, so he uh, ended up helping blaze the trail then for you to make probably an easier transition. And we'll get into that in just a minute about sure. what that, that's about, what you guys are partnered up and doing. But um, taking take us into the SEAL the teams and stuff. What was life like for you as you were going through in the SEAL teams? And what do you think was the biggest thing that it taught you?
1: Oh, man, since it's, it's taught me so many awesome things. Uh, you know, life for me, you know, I would say was a little bit atypical, um, as a seal. I mean, it kind of, uh, it kind of bucked some expectations. Uh, I, I went into the teams uh, out of training in 2005 and, you know, my, de- my first deployment was to Al-Ambar province in 06. Uh, so that, uh, kind of spring into fall. And it was right as kind of Petraeus had rolled out the counterinsurgency doctrine, hmm. um, get outside of the armor, you know, um, be amongst the population I mean, basically, you know, executing, you know, uh, you know, the counterinsurgency uh, UW that, you know, SF is so good at executing. And uh, what we we were doing is a lot of daylight work. So, you know, we did, you know, we did some target, we did nighttime targeted raids, but a majority of the combat that I saw as a new SEAL was daylight uh, combat, daylight patrols to contact. Um, I was partnered with a Marine uh, MIT that was working with an Iraqi battalion. So I got I got really good at kind of doing large-scale kind of infantry-type operations, um, you know, terrain denial going in and, and conducting patrols to keep the enemy out of area and kind of produce white space around the combat outposts. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I think it was the best thing that I could have experienced as a young officer in the SEAL teams, you know, in a soft element, because I was fully immersed into... The conventional uh, military. You know, I was working hand-in-hand with infantry units and reporting up the chain to, you know, uh, Marine Corps and Army, you know, uh, majors, Lieutenant Colonels and Colonels, because, you know, as you know, uh, you know, the Army owns the battle space, or the Marine Corps, but you yeah, know, no, typically... The Army. You were right at the very you know, beginning. The Army, yeah. Army owns everything. So yeah. if you weren't capable of speaking uh, intelligently, in army dialect and, and, and be able to, to, to discuss operations and concepts of maneuver in a way that the, the battle space commander understood you were ineffective as a soft element leader. So I thought it was really good in that capacity. I really became, uh, I, I became really good at figuring out how our advanced capability within our seal CO platoon could augment the larger scale conventional um capabilities that we were supporting
0: wow i can see that being a very intimidating situation and so anybody who was listening to this who was thinking about going the very same route i mean you're talking about really having to get brought up to speed with more senior officers and um really understanding the mission set the combat what you know what each element's going to be doing what your role is going to be i mean you this is something typically as a junior officer you're not always facing
1: well, it's, I, I think it was, you know, listening very well in, in being smart enough to know that I am not the expert tactician. You know, yeah. there's a lot of guys in, in, in my platoon at the time that had, you know, a lot more experience as a SEAL. And, yeah. and some of those guys had, you know, combat experience by that point in 2005, 2006. So I, I just, I listened very well. Um, and then I knew what my role was. And my role was to be that interface for that, you know, that tactical expertise to the conventional leadership. So I, I made it a point to to be very committed to being good at that interface, you know, making sure I understood army doctrine. Uh, I understood terminology. I knew how to to convey our operational mindset and our tactics in a way that, you know, the the big. Uh, big army or Marine Corps leadership could easily understand. So that was, you know, I I, I knew I could do that. So I picked up that stuff relatively quickly. Um, I'm just lucky that I had a lot of guys to back me up on the tactical side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's what it's all about, right? Officers yeah. are there to serve a specific purpose. And, uh, you know, our enlisted brothers are the guys that are actually Uh, they bring all the experience to bear in, in those scenarios.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're uh, a good officer to be able to admit that, uh, not all (laughs) of them are that way, as you know. So, you know, a lot of them come in thinking that they already know. I remember a specific officer coming right out of West Point that thought he knew everything. So, um, you you really have to, I like what you said earlier. You really have to humble yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. not just in the training that you went through, but, in times like this, when you're on a SEAL team, brand new, you've, you're working, you know, with these guys, E6s, E7s, you know, E8s that are very well trained, qualified, have done multiple combat missions more than likely. And here's a new guy coming, walking in as a junior officer that's going to lead these men.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You're you're You're, you're foolish to think that you have the capability to just lead a bunch of seasoned combat veterans that have way more experience than you do. Yeah, you know, you're you're expected to be a leader, absolutely, but you're not expected to be the expert end all be all, um, as it relates to you know kind of our tactical prowess on the battlefield at that point.
0: Well, you know, and Navy SEALs really kind of changed um, a lot of what their their main focus was, and I mean, special forces did somewhat too, uh, but I mean, you guys really adapted and changed within the battlefield. I mean you guys were more in, in you know, assaulting a, a beachfront and demining it and, you know, for landings and those types of things. So this was a l- little bit different than kicking in doors and, and the types of stuff I think you guys were uh, were really getting engaged to. So it just kind of showed how there was a great demand for the soft community. I think we did an episode earlier on this that there was also a big pool of money and everybody yep. wanted to have a piece of that mission and a piece right, of that yeah. money. You know,
1: well, and, and, and you know what, it was a lot of training, right? It was like, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to say kind of UW in a sense that we were we were basically training, right? We were training, advising, assisting, and then ultimately accompanying uh, partner forces on operations. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I, it'd be hard, I'd be hard pressed to come up with an example where we were conducting unilateral operations uh, in, in whatever battle space I was deployed to. It was always with an Afghan unit or a uh, an Iraqi unit or a police force. So, you know, we we definitely had to ad, uh, adapt to that kind of mission set. Yeah. And, you know, the Army has always done that job so well. So I feel like, you know, we saw the writing on the wall. We knew that we didn't own— SEAL teams weren't going to own any battle space in 2006. So— you know, getting really good at assimilating to that, um, you know, that type of structure was important.
0: Were you guys also um, transitioning a lot of your responsibilities back and forth between special forces? Um, I know a lot of ODAs and stuff that, uh, or several ODAs at least, that would, you know, a lot of times transition what their their role and responsibilities were to a, a SEAL team that was taking their place, and then they would relieve a SEAL team type of thing on a certain operation as well. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we were ripping with, with other seal platoons for the most part. Um, so our, our, at least we would have continuity in turnover. We were always turning over with a seal element. Um, but, but I can tell you, I mean, I know that there was, uh, there was some replacement, uh, between kind of seal units and Marine Corps, uh, you know, MARSOC units or yep. ODAs, uh, overseas. So I know that did happen periodically, and we were working hand in hand. I mean, I know during my Afghan deployment, um, you know, we had we had several ODAs that that we were running with. And, you know, we always, you know, they, they occupied certain portions of the battle space and we had a couple platoons out there, but we were intertwined. I mean, it was, you know, SEAL platoon and ODA. I mean, I actually referred to us as like an ODA more than a, a SEAL platoon overseas. Yeah. Just yeah. because that's how we, we fell into the org chart as just another ODA. That was out there.
0: Yeah. Did you ever have any like ranger snipers or anybody uh, covering your back or anything while you were out there? I know. um, I think Paul, who's one of the co-hosts on this show as well, worked with uh, the SIL teams.
1: Okay. Yeah. We, you know, we had a lot of, uh, a lot of conventional uh, army that, that augmented us. You know, so we had like a, we had a mortar team at our fire base that augmented us uh and we would saw that a lot more often where we we would need to take in some additional capabilities to you know that we just didn't have organically or we were we were uh we were weak we were novices in a certain capability so we we bring the experts in and you know if you get a you get a bunch of uh you know hungry mortarmen that have been doing that for their entire career they're they're going to be way better than a bunch of knucklehead seals from a platoon that learned how to do it on yeah. a training trip yeah. So how long did you end up staying in on active duty then? So I, I was on active duty for just under 11 years. Okay. So I, I did my, uh, my deployments, finished up uh, as a platoon commander, and then I went back to uh, Naval Special Warfare Center as the SEAL Qualification Training Officer in charge.
0: Now, how many years did you have to complete in order to kind of pay back your Naval Academy time? I think we had a
1: five-year commitment. Or was it? Okay. So... Yeah. Five years. And, you know, you know, I, I was, uh, I did my first deployment, you know, it was great combat deployment in, in 06 as a new guy. And then my second deployment was to the, uh, Southern Philippines, uh, to Mindanao. Um, and I was a bit disillusioned. I'd be lying to you if I didn't say I, I, I wasn't because I was looking at, after actions and kind of sit reps coming out of uh Baghdad at the time and, and and they were basically doing unilateral operations in Sadr City. So I was like like any good uh you know soft guy, you know, in a in the benign uh area on deployment, you're like pissed that all your boys, like yeah. that all your boys are getting some and then you're not. Uh so I was disillusioned but I, I stuck it out. I said, okay, I wanted to be a platoon commander. I mean for me, first as an officer I think that's a that's a really good, uh, you know, pseudo pinnacle leadership position. So I, I stuck it out. I did that, had a good tour uh, in Afghanistan, doing a lot of daylight combat. And then, um, you know, came out and went to shore duty. Uh, we were kind of, as an O, oh, you know, forced out to take a pause for a second. And, you know, my goal at the time, and you know, I had anticipated staying in, and, and it was probably to screen, go through selection, to go out to uh, the East Coast, and uh, my wife ended up getting pregnant, you know, and it was good. It was planned. But we started a family and I, you know, I had to do some, you know, soul searching to to see what I wanted to do. You know, did I want to be around for for her and my kids or my my new daughter? Uh, or did I want to take on that new role? And, and beyond like anybody else, you know, from, you know, the military, I think we we put that that's at the, at the forefront of our focus. Right. You know. Yeah, deploying, working up, deploying, and and conducting operations. That's where my focus would have been, and uh, and I knew that, and I knew it would have been really hard for me to split my focus. Just it, my personality type doesn't lend itself well. Yeah. To uh, to doing putting both of those things in the forefront. So I, I decided to to get out. Um, you know, and I and I talk a little bit about this in in a previous interview I did, but I you know I also lost a, a little brother in an inbounds avalanche in uh, 2012. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I, I bring it up only because it was a, you know, I, I always was, I always used to say that I got out just because my wife got pregnant and we had a little girl, but you know, I, I can, I can see clearly now, you know, multiple years later, you know, that, that it was impactful, you know, it really, it impacted me because my brother had two young kids when he passed. And, uh, I think that's what refocused me on family. You know, I've I've almost felt like, you know, my little brother doesn't get a chance to raise his kids. uh, So, you know, I'm going to make a a coherent decision here and I'm going to be there to raise my kids um, and and kind of experience that, you know, on his behalf.
0: Yeah, I I would almost say that you're um, kind of an anomaly, you know, in in doing that, because there are a lot of guys who don't see that writing on the wall soon enough and, you know, they end up having... Uh, Having difficulty in their marriage and with their family and I mean, I'm not saying that all of them are in that situation uh, Mind you, but it is a pattern that we do see a lot within the soft community just because their op tempo is so high and You know, it's it's very difficult and challenging um, and very admirable when you see somebody who spent 20-plus years and their family unit is still right there by their side. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, that that's uh, very commendable. You no, know, oh, I, I
1: couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that's yeah. like, <laughs> I mean, my hat's off to them. I mean, I don't know if I would have been able to pull it off. You yeah. know, I'm almost doubtful that I, I would have been able to. You know, yeah. my focus was so singular in, you know, deploying into combat and, and you know, doing the mission at hand and making sure that, you know, I was there for my brothers and we brought each other home alive. I mean, that was that's that was my focus. Right. My, yeah. my wife understood that when I was deploying, she knew that, you know, my priority wasn't calling her every night. Uh, You know, it was calling her whenever I got around to it because I had other things that were more important.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. And that's exactly usually what happens. But that could be received very differently on the other end. You know, for sure. Yeah. yeah, that's why
1: a lot of marriages fail, right? They yeah. have such a high divorce rate. You know,
0: especially post nine eleven. I think we,
1: you know, guys just you there's a there's a commitment to each other, right? I mean, we, you know, I I I've, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and I use this word a lot more frequently nowadays. Uh, I, you wouldn't have heard me saying it ten years ago, but I, you know, I love the guys that I served with. I, I truly love them, and I, I make a, an effort to tell guys that I served with that you know. I, that I, that I love them and I care about them that deeply. And, uh, you know, that's a, there's a very powerful, um, connection there. So yeah. I, you know, it's, it, you know, there's, <laughs> I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of prioritizing that. I think that's why we're so effective as a, as a U.S. military overseas is that we, we truly share that kind of that love for each other and that camaraderie. And that's why guys are willing to sacrifice their lives in combat. Uh, to save one of their boys,
0: yeah, no doubt about it, and that I think too that's uh we've talked about a lot on the podcast that's part of the struggle I think a lot of people have that where you have that closeness, like you're describing within a unit structure, and then you get out and you don't see that same environment, there's not that teamwork, that cohesion, um that love and respect for one another, you know out here in the private sector. And yep. it's a, it's a major shock. And also the Yap tempo is not there. The, you know, the euphoric, um, high, you know, the, everything that comes with that and you walk back out and you're looking for that in some way and you're looking for a relief and it's not there and no connectivity. So, I mean, how was yeah. that for you? I mean, was, was Tim, you know, your former roommate standing by and like, dude, just all you gotta do is call me up when the moment happens or <laughs>
1: no, no, okay. actually, no, it was, it was, uh, you know, I, I'll commend you, Robert. I mean, I, I actually listened to the the interview you did, the last interview on veteran suicide and yeah. kind of that loss of connection and and kind of uh, the stigma associated with mental health or struggle. Yeah. Um, you know, I I to, I mean, I was I was nodding my head the entire time listening to the conversation that you guys had because that's something that you know is near and dear to me personally. I, you know, I got out and, you know, I lost connection with the guys that I served with, you know, and and part of it, it was, it was definitely not part of it. It was my fault. 100%. You know, I, I was very, uh, bullheaded and I said, I wanted to reinvent myself. I want to prove that I can do something different. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to be successful at something totally different than what I did, um, for the last decade. And, uh, you know, I ripped myself away from those connections and it was the worst mistake I ever made because I I went through some of my own personal struggles and, uh, you know, thankfully, you know, kind of reconnecting with the boys, you know, guys that I served with guys that I didn't serve with, but you know, I had a common background in, you know, service overseas. It it kind of brought me out of the darkness and and back into the light. And, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for, those connections, because I I think that it's the loss of connection more so than loss of purpose uh, or kind of job dissatisfaction. It's, it's the loss of connection with those that we love that leads to, you know, the darkness that we're seeing, you know, and some of those, those guys that, you know, unfortunately fall into that place.
0: I couldn't agree more. I think that is one of the greatest challenges that we have to face. And it's so, there's not a one size fits all, You know, and and when I was listening back even to that episode today, um, it was that the thought that came to my mind is, you know, I forgot to say that. I forgot to say that there is nothing that is concrete that, hey, this is what we need to do to correct this situation. It's something that is unique to different situations that we're talking about. Um, What might work for one individual may not work for another, you know, to bring them out of the darkness and to help them understand, you know. you can put them together with their teammates. They may be doing great. They may be showing all the signs. Hell, they may even be out there speaking against uh, post-traumatic, you know, the, the problems with post-traumatic stress and depression and alcohol, and here's how you need to get help and everything else. The next thing you know, they're the ones taking their life. And you never sure. thought that. You never saw yeah. that coming. You know, you never you never thought it. So I I think that starts to prove that as many organizations that are available, as many um, you know, BA programs or DOD programs or whatever, what it really means is that we have to greater than any other time, join hands and forces together to try to combat something we're dealing with.
1: Yeah. And, and it's a, and to your point, it's a multi prong attack and it's yeah. going to be a different combination of things for every single person. Cause no, no two humans are, are the same. No. So, you know, what works for you isn't going to work for me and vice versa. Yep. Um. I do feel strongly that kind of, you know, the best thing you can do is kind of reinstitute connection um, yeah. You know, to friends, to family. And and if you start there, at least you're starting to build a network of people around you that, you know, that have your back. Because, yeah. you know, a point, one of the things that, that came up in your conversation uh, on the last podcast was, you know, guys you know, when you're on active duty, it's easier, right? You're surrounded by your boys. You see everybody every single day. You're training with each other. When guys leave and they isolate and they go into different careers, uh, they travel back to where they're from and they're isolated in their communities. You know, that's, it's tough. You know, you need to surround yourself with good people and people that truly love and care about you. But, you know, it's not going to just take that. I mean, you, you know, there's a, there's multiple, ways to better yourself and you know I've I've explored a bunch of those you know and I'm surrounded by great people both you know from military backgrounds and you know the people that have never been in the military uh, but there's some other programs out there a lot of good programs that yeah. help guys
0: yeah there are and you know I, I was one of those as I walked out the door I jokingly said um, this is it you know I'm going to turn my rear view mirror sideways so I never look back I want to start in a different direction and yet there is at some point you know, you start realizing no, this this is an, an important part of your life. It doesn't define me, you know, by be necessarily being a veteran, but yet there's something there, and there's a connection that's automatic, and and a bond that's created when you have a conversation with somebody who's very like-minded. And I can remember someone, and I won't mention who it is, but was in a very dark spot, and. um you know, wasn't really feeling up to something I was getting them involved with, with fellow military active duty personnel, but like-minded individuals, people from the same community and and stuff that this individual served with. And once I got that person around that environment, uh, it was, you know, like an instant switch and they started feeling much better and they go, wow, this was very cathartic. It was very helpful. And I didn't understand it until they went through it and they realized how important something like that is.
1: Yeah. Hey, when I when I reconnect with a uh, a guy that I served with or or another veteran, it's like the highlight of my day. You know, I might be having a terrible day and just pissed off at everything, and I got issues with with the company, and uh, I take an hour out of my day to reconnect with somebody. It like it, yeah. it's a total lift. So I, it happened you know two days ago. I reconnected with a buddy of mine that served with me in Afghanistan, and it was like the best thing I did. You know, for I think for like. 45 minutes or an hour we just you know caught up you know about old times and uh and and then you know it it's awesome just to be able to share some of the kind of lessons learned with with some of those guys that haven't made the shift yet you know that are still on active duty and are going to retire yeah um uh, yeah, it's just, it's awesome. So I mean, like something like this is, is, is great. You know, just being able to reconnect with, with another brother, uh, you know, on this, on the show is awesome.
0: Yeah. I appreciate it. Likewise. And, and I think that's the struggle is that a lot of them don't want to listen because they think they're going to have no problems when they walk out the door and it's not going to (laughs) be, you know, um, the hardest mission they has, you know, had wasn't transition or isn't going to be transition. I mean, that's how they look at it, but yet it is, you know? Yeah. So for you, you know, getting back to like Tim, what what did you do in the interim before you and Tim hooked back up again? Then,
1: I mean, so I got out initially, and I, I actually went into real estate of all things. Okay, and just like I had met, uh, I had met a guy who's a developer um, at a nonprofit event, and I thought he was a great guy, and he is a great guy. This is the you know one of my buddies. He he was an early mentor, and he's a close friend. Uh, was a real estate developer, so I went back to grad school for that. You know, said okay, hey, that's totally. This is like 180 out from what I was doing. Right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go into the commercial real estate world. So I did that for a while. Um, and then you know, kind of long story short, uh, you know, got involved in some entrepreneurial pursuits, and uh, and then ultimately, you know, I've had kind of my uh, ups and downs. And uh, you know, we recently just launched kind of a new company uh, that you know protect products, and that's our that's kind of my multi, uh, I guess multiple iterations worth of entrepreneurship of, uh, kind of lessons learned and, and, you know, kind of gone down that path. What I've learned is that I, I'm, I think I'm probably destined to always stay in an entrepreneurial environment. Uh, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm, I'd be a square peg in a round hole if I just went into corporate America. I just, I, you know, I need to be running in, in chaos and I need to be figuring things out on the fly. Uh, that's just the way that I, I flourish. So, um, yeah. So the path path was a little bit, uh, uh, you know, roundabout, but I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on that path and, you know, we're having fun and we're learning a lot and trying to, to just make some, some high quality products to make people's lives a little bit better. And, and, uh, you know always kind of bleed it into kind of all the other stuff that we have going on.
0: I love the whole premise, so let's dive into this. So, let's talk about Protec. So, um what was it that made you first come up with the name and the concept? you know, was there something that was really important to you in terms of a a life-changing event or something that you just noticed that there was a gap and an opportunity here? Because it's very different than what most veterans end up going into, you know, some get into the supplement line, some get into, you know, coffee, CBD, t-shirt making, you know, all of those stuff. We see the typical thing, all of, you know, or if you're a sale, you go to Hollywood, write a book, those types of things, you know. That's
1: exactly, I was on (laughs) track for that. I actually, I have a book deal lined up.
0: I'm kidding but, uh, <laughs> so, so what was it that, how did, how did this whole concept come about? I mean, I mean, you know what, for, for me, it was very personal. Uh,
1: you know, I mentioned that I, I had gone through some, uh, you know, some roughs, you know, patches, uh, yeah. you know, multiple years after transitioning too. And I, and I didn't get a chance to mention that I, you know, a lot of guys will say, Hey, I'm good to go. I feel like I'm solid. They retire or they just transition out. And It it doesn't always hit right away, right? For me, it was like five years after I got out, you know, four or five years after I got out and multiple, you know, even longer since my last combat tour. And, you know, I just started feeling, you know, it was just different, right? I I felt angry, uh, a lot more, you know, a lot more apathy, you know, you call it, call it depression, whatever. I mean, you can label it however you want, but, you know, just wasn't feeling myself. So, um, I went on this personal kind of search to figure it out, you know, not, you know not necessarily just press the easy button and you know go to the VA and get prescribed you know a bunch of meds um which is often the case right yep. I mean and and I'm not I'm not saying there isn't a time and a place for some of that stuff but you know I had too many friends that were over prescribed uh opiates sleep aids and uh, antidepressants
0: yep see the cocktail and, all the time yeah oh
1: and, and it's those three right you know yep. those are that's that's the the, those are the three things that every single guy seems to get prescribed. So I, I just went down a path looking for an alternative way to to not just find the Band-Aid, but I, I wanted to get to the root cause of the issue and, and start to do some some deep work uh, internally. So that the name Protect, you know, kind of multiple years after that, uh, it, it's really a nod you know and and this is, we don't kind of publicly advertise this but it's really a nod to the fact that I think you need to protect yourself first it's a you know it's for me I felt you know I'm I've always served in kind of a protective role um yet I I really shirked the responsibility I had to myself to protect my own well-being and you know the my own ability to be the best version of myself so That's, that's really where the, uh, the inspiration came for me as an individual, um, behind protect. And, you know, what we really wanted to do was reinforce, you know, the routines, those habits that I personally have found to be the most impactful in a positive manner in my life, you know, kind of on this journey towards healing and being a better version of myself for my family and my friends.
0: Well, so let's talk about the products. So there are a number of products that are really around um, sunscreen. So, you know, you happen to send me a care kit, uh, which I've been using, especially with my grandchildren, because they love the little sticks that you can uh, rub right. on and everything. Yeah. We use those all the time. I and mean, you're always worried about what it is that you're putting within the skin. People don't think about that. What goes in right. through the skin can affect your, your body and your system just as much. But you have different sunscreen sticks. You have uh, moisturizer. You have lip balm, but there are some other things outside of that that yeah. I really want to get into, and that's right. the uh, Lion's Mane Mushroom Complex, and then yep. your whole tincture formula. Uh, so yep. let, let's let's talk around all three of those different sets, uh, and, yeah, in product no, for lines. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So sun, you know,
1: sunscreen is you know there's been a lot of chatter about sunscreen in recent years, right? You know, you, most of the chemical actives that have been in, you know, kind of all the typical sunscreens that you put on as a kid yep, uh, are now turning out to be pretty toxic, right? They, they're endocrine disruptors. Um, and as a man, like the last thing I want is to disrupt my endocrine system. You yep. know, I got most, most, you know, combat veterans have issues with that already, you yep. know, low testosterone. testosterone. Yep. Yep. So, you know, zinc oxide is the safest. It's also one of the most efficacious sunscreen actives. So we've stuck to zinc, zinc oxide. Uh, so it's a it's a mineral sunscreen, which means that it is a it's sitting on the surface of the skin, and it's not absorbing into your blood. And uh, we're, we're all organic, so super safe. And you know, the premise behind having the the line of sunscreen is you know we, we're really getting out getting into the outdoors has been a big part of my, my personal healing. And, you know, I've, I've always flourished getting outside. You know, I, I've, I've been a, I've been a, a, an ultra runner, adventure racer, and now I really focus on bouldering. Uh, I rock climb a lot outside and, you know, I think getting into the outdoors, into a nature based environment has been, uh, very, very instrumental in me kind of promoting a better version of me. Well most- So,
0: most people do though honestly of course you mentioned irish catholic you know my background is scots irish so i i have some of the similar problems i don't tan i freckle and that's about as far as it goes and i burn outside of that (laughs) and so i mean you know when you're talking about sunscreen a lot of people especially me growing up in the state of florida didn't realize the importance of wearing sunscreen And on a daily basis. So, I mean, like, you know, I go to a dermatologist and he he says, hey, listen, you know, you need to be wearing at least SPF 15 every time you walk out the door. You know, and you don't even realize that when you're in your car and your arm's sitting there or whatever, and especially on long drives, how much sun is coming through your windshield, through your glass. And, and, you know, he explained that the windshield usually is tinted, but the side windows are not usually uh, enough to be able to stop it. And and it was a really an education process for me because I didn't realize it. Uh, But it's also a bit of a change because people, people don't typically think of, especially guys, the importance of wearing something like sunscreen all the time. Women do, they have SPF in their makeup, you know, on their face at least, but dudes don't put anything on.
1: No. I mean, I I was, I was guilty of that most of my life. I just, I just didn't use sunscreen all that often. So, you know, most of our products, we have a lotion, but we also we have two face sticks and we have a lip balm. You know, for as a guy, I mean, those are always the easiest for me to use, right? Yeah. I mean, I can I can keep it in my pocket, keep it in my car. I can throw some on. You know, I'm typically, you know, I can I only need to put it on my face, my neck, and I'm good to go. Yep. Uh, but I, it's definitely it's been that, you know, that need for SPF has been hammered home. So that's that's something that we wanted to provide just to be able to give pe- our customers, you know, a tool to allow them to get outside and be in nature more often. Um, Good. But the stuff that I'm more excited about probably is the, you know, the wellness, the overall wellness uh, products, the supplements that we're bringing to market. Yes. So, Let's dive there. Yeah. So the, the first two that we have are uh, Lion's Mane Mushroom Complex. Yeah. And sounds we have creepy,
0: a, right? I mean, mushrooms. Yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, didn't know anything about mushrooms uh, until a couple years ago, and uh, and I now I know you know quite a bit about them, and and really it came from a uh, you know a place of wanting to improve my co- my cognitive function. Yeah, you know I've, I've focused a lot more in uh, my old age on on kind of brain health and the importance of kind of the brain you know in in everything I do. You know my my neuroconnectivity, you know, that improved neuroconnectivity makes me a better athlete. Um, it allows me to control my emotions better in the house or at work and and allows me to think clearer, to be a better version of myself. Um, so especially as we age, you know, we go, we go through kind of neuropathy, right? We lose kind of the function of our nerves. Uh, we lose neuro connectivity because the myelin sheath that insulates your, your nerves, your neurons, uh, starts to deteriorate. And, you know, you know, and a lot of guys, you know, especially from you know military background, you know they there's a big connection between uh, concussive injury and early onset Alzheimer's and dementia. So hmm. yeah. I started hearing some of those facts, Robert, and uh, and it actually spooked me. Right, I'm I've had a lot of concussions. I've been in IED blast. Yeah, and uh, and you know I don't I I know I'm already predisposed to kind of those those things like Alzheimer's and dementia. Lou so
0: Gehrig's. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a number of different things that you see with boxers with, you know, yep. professional athletes from different sports and everything. And, you know, being in the so- service, like you said, and around concussions all the time, you know, um, it, it's, you know, it's something, yeah, I think a lot of people need to be very aware of.
1: Yeah. So crazy enough, I, I stumbled upon, uh, the world of mushrooms uh and namely uh lion's mane mushroom uh after reading you know reading a bunch and then you know listen to a guy named paul stamets who's kind of like a, a leading mushroom researcher uh and and he specifically talked about how lion's mane has been shown in a couple uh studies you know that they've done with mice uh and then they've done a couple controlled studies with humans uh where they've they've seen improved neurofunction, neurocognitive function after you know, the the test group is is dosed with lion's mane um, for a period of time. And they've seen, you know, a regrowth or a growth promotion of that myelin sheath that insulates our nerves and, and allows kind of better connectivity overall. So I committed, you know, I, I I wanted to go back to what works for me. I mean, I've been I've taken supplements my entire life. And we're not looking at, you know, producing every supplement. We want to just produce uh, the supplements that I've found are kind of the most impactful that I'm going to take every single day for the rest of my life unless somebody proves that I shouldn't. Uh, and, and Lion's Mane fell into that category for me. So every morning I've been taking Lion's Mane for the last couple of years. Um, I take about a gram or a gram and a half. And uh, and so that was a big part of it. You know, I also drink a lot of water. Uh, you know, I, I think the two routines that we focus on the most as part of our brand is hydration and then sleep. And, uh, you know, I think if you, if you hydrate better, you're going to feel better physically, yeah. mentally. Yeah. And it'll ultimately it'll it'll probably give you a better chance of sleeping better. And, and And sleep is the root of all evil or the root of all good. So if you can improve your sleep, like everything gets better. Yeah. I don't care if you take any supplements. If you hydrate and take and you sleep better, uh, you'll do better. So um, yeah.
0: they say even naps. So so going back though to the shrooms, these yep. are not psychoactive or anything like no. that. So people hear of shrooms, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. They automatically jump to okay, what what's going on here? You know what what is Nick really trying to get me into? You know
1: yeah. Uh, no, so it's just it, they're basically uh, supporting cognitive function. You know, it's something that if you take it on a prolonged basis, you know, there's been th- you know studies that have shown it to be um, impactful and actually help promote, uh, you know, I, namely kind of that regrowth of myelin um, or at least the resistance to neuropathy and and uh, and kind of deterioration of that myelin sheath. Yeah. So for me, it's it's really I'm not looking for the the quick fix overnight solution. I I started taking lion's mane specifically because I want to stave off, um, you know, some of those bad things that, uh, that I think I'm predisposed to, um, as a veteran. Um, and and we all are right. I mean, as, as we age, you know, we lose, uh, cognitive function, you know, we're not as sharp as we used to be. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know about you, but I I want to be, I want to be super sharp when I'm 85 years old. You know it out climbing and and in the outdoors so somewhere uh, i lost
0: the uh i lost to the dad bod here with all this going on but um (laughs) yeah yeah i wanted that as well uh when i was you know in my 80s so switching over then to you know the other product that you have um you know it's a it's an oral vitamin tincture and yep. i love that you guys uh really focused on some of the most important vitamins really again for clarity and everything and that was vitamin b12 vitamin d3 vitamin k2 and maybe you can yep. run through quite quickly what each of those do in terms of bettering an individual's health because if you if you actually um put those into a google search you're going to learn a lot about the benefits of this um cocktail
1: yeah well, I mean, it, like overall, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about vitamin, I mean, B12 and D3, but specifically vitamin D3. Uh, you know, I've, I've listened uh, you know, I've listened to other podcasts and I'm, Joe Rogan has had Dr. Rhonda Patrick on a few times and a phenomenal uh, woman, very intelligent. And, and, you know, she speaks. I mean, it, it was great. It was kind of great timing because uh, I've been taking vitamin D and B12 for a while now. I've just, I always knew that they're, critical to health, um, to kind of our energy, our cardiovascular system, our, our central nervous system and and vitamin D in particular is really important for sleep. You know, the, um, you know, production of those things in our body that actually make us tired and put us to sleep and give us that restful sleep. So, uh, Dr. Patrick talked a lot about how most people in this world are vitamin D deficient. And, and she was pointing to a lot of COVID, uh, you know, Patients and and even some COVID fatalities in that were 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 definitely vitamin D deficient. Mm. So she points to vitamin D as being critical, in, you know, to immune system function and and uh, really helping us be, you know, maybe r- more resilient. And I use the name that we kind of coined for our product, but you know, being a more resilient individual, having a stronger immune system, stronger central nervous system, and and stronger uh, circulatory system, um, to kind of give you a great baseline, you know, as you, you go out there and and get out into the, into the wilderness and and make yourself a a fitter version of yourself.
0: Yeah. No, I think, um, you guys are definitely on the right track and that you're, you know, you're, you're really trying to, to help the individual. When you think about even those guys who are on active duty, who need, um, you know, this, these, this type of support, they need, you know, first off, they need to be wearing sunscreen, they need to be taking certain vitamins, they need to be taking supplements that's going to benefit them. And and certainly if they're in the soft community or they're in a, a job uh, that requires a, a lot of missions, um, a lot of potential concussion, you know, opportunities and everything, then, you know, what we're talking here rings true that you got to, you got to take care of yourself and think about the yeah. future. And, you know, when you're talking about things like nervous and circulatory system uh bettering your health i I mean it's it's really great and i commend you guys for what you guys have put together here you guys do everything from you know the the research all the way until the manufacturing and the whole bit or tell me about your process
1: yeah i mean so i i know i'm not (laughs) back to the earlier our earlier conversation uh, i'm not i know i'm not the smartest person in the world uh and i know what i know and i know what i don't know so for me, it was always just a lot of personal research that went into choosing the things that I'm going to take on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And when we created the line, we stuck with those, you know, so for me, it was hydration. So I drink, uh, two pints of water every single morning. Um, and I, I, I started taking lion's mane and I started taking, you know, uh, and, and typically I would take them separately. I was taking D3K2 and I was taking B12, uh, separately. Okay. So I knew I was, I, I, have been taking those. Um, I've had a lot of physicians tell me that those are the things I need to be taking. And then everybody else out there that's smarter than I am, uh, like, you know, Dr. Rhonda Patrick and people like that, that have been, you know, kind of coming out in recent interviews saying how important it is. We said, Hey, why reinvent the wheel? These are things that we, I personally know have worked for me over several years. Uh, I like to think of myself as a high performer. Um, and, you know, that's what we're going to bring to market. We're not going to bring a bunch of flash. We're not going to try to make uh, a bunch of protein powders and and pre-workout and, and everything else. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we wanted to stick with the things that I'm going to use on a daily basis. Yeah. And the stuff that we're going to launch here quickly um, are all geared towards promoting uh, more hydration. So we have, we have a, an effervescent uh, branch chain amino acid tab, uh, plant-based. Okay. So we'll have a bottle. It's going to be called Primer, and it's you know just clean BCAAs to help kind of prime people for uh, you know physical duration uh, uh, exertion. Yep. And, and better recovery, but you you have to put our tabs in water. So you know you're you're going to throw three or four of them in 16 ounces of water. It promotes hydration. So you get the hydration Yeah. And then the, uh, the other four products are all going to be liquid packs. So little six mil liquid concentrate, um, we'll have a hydration, we'll have an energy, we'll have a sleep and we'll have an immunity support. Uh, but all those will be, you know, concentrate that you got to dump in this, you know, 16 ounces of water. So our goal was let's provide some very simple basic supplements that we know everybody could benefit from. Um, let's make them clean. Let's keep them organic Let's get rid of all the sugar, uh, all the artificial ingredients, and and just give people something that is going to, you know, just uh, in turn m- make them drink more water. Yeah. If I can just get people to drink more water, we'd be good to go, <laughs> right? I mean,
0: yeah. You know, it's it's funny that uh, you mentioned that because there are so many people I run into that um, talk about how they're kind of feeling run down or whatever, and they may be even exercising. And, and the first question I ask is, how much water are you drinking? Well, I probably don't sure. drink enough. Well, there you go. That Start with yeah. that, you know, and yep. you got to yep. make sure you're eating right. You got to fuel the body. If you're not fueling the body, then the body's going to start, you know, getting sluggish and everything else. So yeah, you're, you're, you guys are spot on. Um, if people are looking to find the products, I know yep. they can already go to uh, ProTech with a K, Pro- yep. P-R-O-T-E-K-T products.com, correct? Correct. And you guys are also on, out on social media uh, under Protect.
1: Yep. At, so at Protect Life is our handle on Instagram. Okay. And then, you know, my personal Instagram, you know, you have uh, at Nick uh, Norris 1981. Uh, so I'm I'm pushing it and, uh, and you can always find us on the web uh, and on Instagram.
0: Right. Man, uh, I appreciate what you guys are doing, not just, you know, what you've done on active duty and, and, the you know, sharing your story and everything, but what you guys are doing now and helping individuals, not just, you know, military and veterans and stuff, those on active duty, but also civilians understand the importance of good health and taking care of their body. It's It's very different than what I see a lot of veteran entrepreneurs end up going down the path of you guys really just tried to hone in on the physical side of it, the mental side of it and, and wanting to have that clarity, like you said, throughout the remainder of your life. And it's going to be so important as you start getting older and older. Um, yeah. And, and if we can get people to understand that, you know, with there being burn pit, uh, you know, activities that happened in the past IEDs concussions, you know, um, those types of things that you guys, uh, end up in experiencing in a combat situation, you've got to understand that those things are going to take a toll on your body and your, and your brain and, and everything for the future. It, Absolutely. It, yeah. You know, we all know that we come out broke anyway, you know, in some right. way, you know, <laughs> uh, knees, you know, necks, backs, shoulders, arms, whatever it, 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 yeah. hearing, you know, the whole bit. Yep. So, um, you, you just got to be very much aware of that and understanding that you've got to take some addition additional initiative in order to make sure that you're going to be better off in the long run.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we also, we, you know, not, not a lot of us focus on our brain, our mental health and, uh, yeah. you know, you know, per your last interview, I mean, mental health is such a, uh, an important part of, of flourishing, you know, in life after service and, and really for anybody in this world. I mean, I'm, you know, I am uh, a huge, um, I spent a lot of my time, you know, focused on, in that realm and, and, you know, trying to help, you know, other buddies, uh, kind of get through a bad spot. And, uh, yeah. you know, I think, I think that if they, we can just focus more on that and just helping each other out and, you know, less hate and anger in this world and, uh, yeah. and kind of more, more love. I think we would be all better off.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I totally agree with you. And I think that, you know, products like yours are going to be so beneficial because, um, like you said, a lot of guys who are struggling, even with periods of depression, um, you know, post-traumatic stress, uh, whatever the case may be, you know, you've got to you got to make sure that you're putting the right fuels and the right things within your body, and you're active, and that you're maintaining you know physical activity and those types of things, because that's all part of it too. And, yep. and so you've got to you got to take care of the full the full spectrum there. And so you guys are focused in the right area. Wish you nothing but the best, man. I really do, and uh, look forward to seeing some of these new products that are coming out.
1: Yeah, they'll be out soon. We're, we're a couple weeks out from Primer, and then I think uh, sometime after Labor Day we'll have the the liquid packs out. So we're stoked to get them out there. We'll kick you a box.
0: Sounds good, Nick. Thanks again for coming on, brother.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me, Robert.